So if you keep your Bibles open to Psalm 8, what we did last week, what we're doing here on Christmas Eve morning, what we'll be doing next week on New Year's Eve is we're looking at three different Psalms to get a portrait of who Jesus is. We're trying to answer the question, who is this Jesus whose birth we celebrate every year in December? And I think to to help us understand what's going on in Psalm 8, this is a Psalm of David. He was a shepherd, he was a warrior, he was a king, he was a poet. We need to understand his thought process. So I'm sort of going to preview where we will go in this sermon. First, in Psalm 8, we're going to, David is going to describe how he has observed the night sky and he sees the majesty of God. That will be the first movement in Psalm 8. The second movement is David, when he looks at the, the majestic creation, particularly the stars and the moon, planets, it's going to force him to ask a penetrating question. Could this majestic God actually care about me? And then the third movement of the psalm is David answers that question definitively. While God is majestic and sovereign over the universe, he does care for you and me. These are the three movements of this psalm that I think we need to see and and internalize. And then at the end of this sermon, we're going to spend some time worshiping God in response to this picture of Jesus that we see in Psalm 8. So let's look at the first movement. David sees the majesty of God in creation. You can almost picture David. David was a shepherd when he was growing up. You can almost picture David outside the city of Bethlehem watching his father's sheep and seeing a cloudless sky at night. Night after night doing his job as a shepherd protecting the sheep and watching and observing the night sky, the movement of the stars, the different planets, the moon and the different phases of the moon. And as David views and reflects upon uh, the vastness of God's creation of the heavens and the heavenly bodies, he worships the greatness and majesty of God, the one who created and the one who sustains these stars, these planets, and the moon. Notice verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. He sees what God has done when he, when, when he contemplates the vastness of, of the sky and all the, 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 the stars that are there. He, he worships this great God and says, your name is majestic. You are all powerful. You are all sovereign. He goes on in verse 3, he says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, 
it's interesting how David describes that. He describes the, 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 the work of, in, in, in the heavens, your, the work of God as the work of God's fingers. What you're seeing here is a, is a very intimate portrait of God the creator. David's not picturing some remote God who you know, puts the stars into place sort of remotely. No, he's picturing God as an artist who is carefully and intentionally forming every part of his creation with his very fingers. Much like someone who is making a piece of pottery would be forming that clay with his fingers, or an artist who's using very delicate finger work to put together his piece of artwork. And David is correctly mesmerized by this creation and the power and the sovereignty and the greatness of someone who would be able to form that night sky, that creation, those stars, the planets, the moon, and worships him. Sir Isaac Newton, a great scientist in his own right, said this about creation. The most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. This being must govern all things, not as the soul of the world, but as the Lord over all. And on account of his dominion, he should be called Lord God, the universal ruler. This is the first movement of the psalm. David sees the majesty of God in creation. But there's a second movement. As David observes the, the glory and majesty of God who, who must put this, this artistic uh, you know, creation together and, and sustains that same created order. God is obviously majestic, he's sovereign. And of course, if you see the night sky, I'm sure many of you have been overwhelmed. I mean, the problem is in New Jersey, you can't see the stars hardly. It's cloudy many nights, too much light. I feel like telling New York City, turn off your lights, please. We'd like to be able to see the night sky. We can't always see it, but when you see on a cloudless night, the majesty and, and, and glory, and, and when you, you know, study a little bit of astronomy and you understand how far away these stars are, it would be easy to think, does the God who made that, the God who put that together, why would he care about me? I'm, I'm a, we're a little speck in the universe. Does this majestic creator God care at all about us? And that's the question in the second movement here. David asks a question. Does God care at all about us? Notice the question in verse 4. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? That phrase, what is man that you are mindful of him? Does God even think or remember us? He, he's this majestic God who created a universe. It's vast. We're on one planet among many planets, among one little solar system, among many solar systems. 
Does God even think about us at all? Do we come to his mind? He goes on to say, and the son of man, that you care for him. That word care for him literally in the Hebrew would mean visit. In other words, does God even care or think about us? That's the first question. But the second question is, does God even intervene himself in our lives? To listen to us, to care for us, to help us. And that's the question that David asked himself. It's a rhetorical question. He sees the majesty, the, the vastness of, of, of the night sky and says, did the one who put that together, does he even care about me? I'm just a little speck of dust on one planet among many galaxies. Does God care? Does he remember? Does he think about us? Is he involved in our lives? Does he care about us? Is he going to intervene in our lives? And I suspect that a number of you probably have asked that very same question, maybe even asking that question this morning. Does God even care about me? And that's the second movement. The third movement in this psalm is that David sees the majesty of God, probably looking at the night sky. He asks these rhetorical questions, and then he begins to answer that question definitively. And I think what is this, this Psalm 8 is a stunning piece of poetry, frankly. Um, But what's stunning about this passage As in spite of the fact that David is mesmerized by the the greatness of God and he's asking these important questions, his answer is that absolutely God values us. Absolutely God cares about us. Absolutely God is concerned for us and that he is willing and does act on our behalf. In other words, what David is going to say to us is not only does does God hear our requests and our prayers and our desperate cries for his help, but he is personally, in the most sacrificial way, involves himself with us because he cares about us deeply. And there's three very important ways that David describes this throughout Psalm 8. Let me look at the first way we see how God cares for us. Notice verse 2. He says, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And you're like, what, what does that mean? We're talking about the sky and the stars, and now we're talking about children and babies, and what does this mean? Well, it says, out of the mouths of babies and infants. But babies and infants would have been the weakest of human beings, of course, helpless, dependent. David is saying that he's come to understand that deep in God's character, God is concerned for weak 
the weak human beings, but even the weakest and most dependent of all human beings. And in their weakness, out of the mouths of babies and infants, God himself has established strength in the midst of these weak and dependent individuals to, to, to silence and to, to uh, push back against the enemies and the avengers who are creating havoc on the earth. In other words, what David understands, which, which I think we can easily forget, is that yes, we may feel insignificant when we see the majesty and the vastness of outer space and all the heavenly bodies, we actually may think that, how would God, you know, with everything else he's got to do to, you know, hold the world together, why would he care about me? But David has come to understand that God, in deep in his character, is a God, yes, he's majestic, but he cares intimately and deeply, particularly for the weakest among us, babies, infants. The whole principle of the Word of God, as you read through the Word of God, is that God doesn't come simply to help the strong and the powerful, you know, to do better in their lives. He's come specifically for the weak, the marginalized, the sinful, the ones who've been moral failures, people like us. And what David is saying, that even human beings, as insignificant as they may feel in a vast universe, that the God who put the universe together is deeply concerned with insignificance of human beings. In fact, to God, they're not insignificant. And even the most dependent among human beings captured God's heart and concern and his personal attention. And what is amazing about this verse is it's quoted by Jesus in the New Testament. I need you to turn to Matthew 21, the first book in the New Testament. I want you to see this. In Matthew 21. The story that we're gonna look at is a story of when Jesus came in on a donkey. Uh, it's his triumphal entry. We celebrate this on Palm Sunday. Jesus comes into uh, the city riding a donkey. He's been presented as the king. In less than a week's time, he will be crucified. But let's pick up the story in verse 8. Jesus is on this donkey. He's coming into the city of Jerusalem. Verse 8 says, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And of course, we read that the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowds responded, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And according to Matthew's account, Jesus goes into the temple and cleanses it of the money changers that had, had defiled the temple and were using it as an economic advantage rather than providing animals for the sacrifices. So he cleanses the temple of that, and we pick up the story in verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him, came to Jesus in the temple, and he healed them. Notice again. The principle, it's God deep in his character is drawn to the weak, 
drawn to the marginalized. The blind, the lame, they come to him. He heals them. Verse 15, but when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, the children are crying out. They were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? And then Jesus quotes Psalm 8 too. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. One of the ways we know that God, the majestic God who fashions out the universes and the millions and billions of stars that we, that, that we see and, and, and some that we, we can't see because they, 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 we, we haven't developed telescopes that can view them, cares for you and me personally. As that God in his character, the structure of his own character and the structure he operates in the universe is that God is drawn to the weak to the marginalized, to the children, to the infants. And in a very real sense, God opposes the proud. Those people who think that they can get right in their own power, the self-righteous, the self-satisfied, the ones who trust in their own wealth or power, God opposes the proud, but he pours out his grace because he has a deep compassion for those who are weak. He listens to the weak. He acts on behalf of the weak. He came out of heaven to rescue us. Jesus, who was uh, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, comes all the way out of heaven, puts on a human body, fully God and fully man. He becomes weak to rescue us in our weakness. God cares for you. God cares for me. Oh, he's the majestic God but he cares for you and for me. And I want to appeal to many of you who from time to time probably think this way. It's just somehow you think you've got to clean your life up and earn your way and earn God's love by your good performance. You need to understand that the majestic God who fashions the universe is the same God who is drawn not to those who are self-righteous and think they can earn their way with God, but for those in humility who can say, I'm weak, I'm a sinner, I can't get there, God. God cares for you and me. But there's a second way that David understands that the majestic God cares for us, and we need to go to verse 5. In Psalm 8, 5, uh, David now responds. He says, yet, this is after he's asked the two questions rhetorically, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And then he says this about us, human beings. Yet, you, God, have made him, human beings, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whoever passes along the paths of the sea. What we see here 
is that God cares deeply for us because we have been made in the image of God and we've been given responsibility to manage the world under God's authority. Imagine that. The creator God entrusting us with the management of the world. Seems like a bad idea. But that's was the original plan of creation. Yes, we've marred that by our sin and rebellion, and we've mismanaged the world in all kinds of ways. But that still pictures what God thinks about you and me. He's deeply concerned for you and me. He's, he's massively interested in every aspect of your daily life because he's depending upon you and has given you the responsibility to manage the little part of the world that you have a little bit of control over, which is small, but that was his plan. He's concerned about all of your life, every aspect of it. The majestic God has given us, human beings, even in our sin, by the way, he's given us dignity, he's given us worth, he's given us valuable value and responsibilities to us. God is thinking about us. God wants to work in us and through us. He's concerned that this incredible responsibility we've been given is, is executed faithfully and well, and he's willing to empower us to do that well. God is not simply majestic and remote, no. He's deeply invested in us. As his image bearers, he cares for us, he thinks about us, he's willing to work in our lives. Again, because God delights to display his own glory even as he works with people who are weak. And this leads us to the third reason why David and we can understand that God cares for us. And that is this. This psalm, Jesus used the words in this psalm, but this psalm is also quoted at length in the book of Hebrews. So I need you to turn to the end of the New Testament, towards the end of the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews in chapter 2. Because one of the ways we can understand that God cares for us is to see what it cost God in Jesus to restore us to this position of importance and value and manage the world. But what did God have to do to rescue us from our sin where we were marring the world and, and, and altering the world in negative ways and God wanted to rescue his project and rescue us, and here's what Jesus did to accomplish that, and Psalm, two is a ma- Psalm 8 is a major theme of this. I'll begin to read in verse 5. He says, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, well, I can tell you where somewhere is, it's Psalm 8, and now it's just a quote, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? 
You make him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now again, that, that's, I think that's talking about us, certainly in Psalm 8. But the writer of Hebrews now begins to take Psalm 8 and apply it to Jesus. So the middle of verse 8, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. That's talking about Jesus. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. That's when he became a man. That's when he was born. That's what we celebrate on Christmas. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So you see Psalm 8 then is applied to Jesus. So in other words, to help us be restored fully as image bearers, managing the world well under the authority of God, what God had to do was put on a human body, Jesus, and had to come to earth, and he had to be made a little lower than the angels, in spite of the fact he was the second person of the Trinity. But by taking on humanity, he did that. And it's through Jesus' death, the suffering of death, through his pouring out his life for us, that allows death and sin to be defeated through Jesus Christ's suffering and death. And now Jesus is now crowned with glory and honor. He's been resurrected to life. He's sitting on the right, at the right hand of the Father, ruling the universe under, the, you know, ruling the universe. The universe is under his authority. Now, we don't see everything in his control because we know everything won't be fully under his control, so to speak, in real time until he comes again. And all of this action of Jesus... This incredible sacrifice he makes to die in your place and in my place. All of it designed to restore us, even in our weakness and sin and rebellion, to restore us to the original purpose that God had for us when he made us. That we as image bearers would reflect, would rule the world. That we would relate to God and that we would reflect the beauty and glory of God as his image bearers. You think about that. Oh, I suspect if you look at a night sky long enough, you might think, how insignificant are we on this one planet in the middle of all these galaxies? Oh, no. God cares for you and me. God delights deep in his character to bestow his grace and mercy to the weak, to the insignificant, to the marginalized. God in his grace came all, all the way out of heaven, laid down his life. Why? Because he was taking care of you and me. When he's hanging on that cross, he, yes, he's thinking about you and me. He's thinking about, I'm going to redeem <laughs> Through my, through my death and resurrection, I'm going to redeem them and restore them. And one day, in the new kingdom, they will rule and reign as fully intended, as image bearers, free from even the very presence of sin. Does God care about you? Oh, he does. And Christmas is a massive, visible expression of how deeply and profoundly God cares for you. 
let's pray. And then I want us to worship this Jesus who has come to us, demonstrating his love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Lord, for those today who have come to this service or are watching online and are thinking to themselves, I don't see how God cares for me. I pray that Psalm 8 would help them see that they have a God who deeply cares, who sacrificed himself fully and completely to restore them in their weakness to the original glory that you had for us to manage the world, to relate to you, to reflect you. And that one day when Jesus returns again, we will see everything in real time in subjection to Christ and we will rule and reign. For those of us who know Christ is our Savior, we will have a future where we will live out our purpose and, quite, and understand far more deeply than we can even today. Yes, God is majestic and sovereign and powerful, but he looks upon us with deep and profound care. We pray this in your name. Amen.